0: Hello again, it's me again. So we're up to the sermon time. And uh, as, uh, as you probably know, we're going to do um, Gabriel's Gospel today. And uh, we had the reading from Luke chapter 1 uh, about that incident. So we'll go through that. And uh, you've probably heard of the musical stage show... Not so popular now, but it had, had its big run in times gone by. Jesus Christ, Superstar. And it was, as I say, a musical presentation of the life of Jesus. Uh, hit the world stages. I'm not sure if it was the end of the 1960s or the early 70s anyway. It was round and it gets uh, revived from time to time. I, I suspect when they think they can make another couple of dollars out of it, maybe. Uh, it's not a very accurate reflection, of course... Um, of the gospel narratives. It's not portraying a true Jesus at all. But around about the same time, uh, there was a better stage show, a better better musical uh, written on the life of Jesus. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't done um, in response, sort of as as a reply to the superstar um, presentation. Uh, And it was called Godspell. So this morning... We do God's Spell for an introduction. I don't know if the people who wrote this musical really know or really knew how how we got the word gospel, but they hit the nail on the head when they called their show God's Spell. It turns out that God's Spell is an old English word. It goes back to the days when the Vikings uh, roamed the land of England and it means God's story in their language. And the Viking word God spell gradually changed into our word gospel. And the gospel is therefore God's story, it's God's uh, news, rather than merely good news as we often talk about it these days. Because whether or not the gospel is good news to you depends on whether you're following Jesus as your Lord or not, so that... If you're following Jesus, it's good news that he died on the cross and rose from the dead and that he's coming back to save his followers. But it's bad news, it's real bad news that Jesus is coming back uh, to save his followers. If you don't believe or just don't care about Jesus, you find yourself really caught out. And so today, as we keep a bit of a Christmassy theme going, I thought we might look at how the angel Gabriel was sent from heaven with God's spell. So today we're going to look at Gabriel's Gospel. Now if you read right through the Bible, there's a variety of occasions when angels um, suddenly appear on the scene. It's clear that they're sent directly from heaven. God himself doesn't show up to talk to you. There are occasional times when the voice of God is heard directly kind of booming up in the heavens. This, of course, Jesus, the Son of God, who addresses us. But generally, as time went on in the Bible, God would send an angel with a message to a particular person. And of the various angels who appear with messages from heaven, two and two only are given names. And one of the angels whose name we get told is Gabriel. Um, Just a little kind of digression. I wonder, do you know the name of the other angel who gets... Named in the page of the Bible, Gabriel certainly won. I don't even know if they all have, I suppose they all have. What's the other one called, do you know? Michael, Michael correct. The other one gets called Michael. So, and uh, that's uh, in the story of Daniel, you'll, you can read about that. In verse uh, uh, 19 of our, of our gospel passage that we read, Luke chapter 1, uh, we have the story of the birth of a baby to an elderly couple called Zechariah and Elizabeth, And in verse 19, Zechariah had an unexpected visitor, Gabriel. He has to introduce himself later on, of course, and he wouldn't know it was. Who says, I have come to gospel you. Now, we think about the old meaning of gospel from Viking times and we can remember that God has a story to tell. A story which God tells and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when... Just after Adam and Eve had sinned and been thrown out of God's presence, God then promised that the one of the descendants of Eve would crush the head of a snake. And that's back in Genesis chapter 3. And this is the beginning of a long story which God tells us right through the whole Bible. It goes through Abraham getting the promise of a son and a blessing to all the nations. And then God's story goes on with Israel uh, escaping from Egypt and going to live in freedom in the land of of Canaan. And then along come the kings of God's people, people like David and Solomon, followed by the people of Israel breaking their agreement to live as God's uh, special people. So then along come the prophets whom God sends to call the people back to him, back to the covenant, the way they should be with severe warning as to what's going to happen if they refuse the offer. So this is God's story as it unfolds as we read along historically through the Bible. And then we leave the Old Testament, we go on to the New Testament, which starts, if we look at Luke's way of telling it, with the birth of a baby. Only the first baby to get born in Luke's Gospel isn't baby Jesus, he comes along pretty soon, but rather it's John. And you can probably recall that Mary, the mother of Jesus, was also uh, visited by an angel to get the news that she would be having a special baby. But just a few months uh, before that, six months to be exact, an elderly couple also had a visit from an angel, and this is Gabriel. And the good news that Gabriel has for Zechariah and Elizabeth that's, that's their names, is not sort of like a straight up say, guess what, you're going to have a baby, isn't have a great, great bit of news? It's going to be a boy too, something like that. But rather, the good news, the God spell that uh, Gabriel brings is the next instalment of God's story. Here comes someone who's going to serve the Lord and make the people ready. Well, today was a special day for Zechariah. Uh, His special day was very different. Now Zechariah was an Israelite priest who lived south of the city of Jerusalem and his name had been drawn out of a hat, so to speak. The Bible said he was chosen by lots. So we'll say drawn out of a hat, something like that. So he was rostered on for duty in the temple that week. So there were lots of priests. Uh, Remember the Twelve tribes of Israel, one of the whole twelve tribes was a tribal believer. They were all priests. So there were that many priests around. You couldn't all get them all in the temple at once, so one would be chosen by lot. You're the special guy. You're the one that's on today. And that was Zechariah that day. Now, being on duty included performing the morning and the evening sacrifice. This daily ritual went back to the time of Moses where God states that there's to be one lamb uh, sacrificed in the morning and then another lamb later on in the day. Hence the morning and the evening sacrifice. You can read about that in Numbers chapter 28 back in the Old Testament. And this involved the priest going into the holy place within the temple, not just the outside bit where people could mill around, but deep inside the temple. And he would go up to the uh, incense altar and he'd start off by throwing some incense down on that altar, and yeah, because it was a hot altar, a bit of a flame, poof, the, the cloud of incense would waft up into the heavens. Now, it turns out that Zechariah and his, and his wife Elizabeth had no children after a long marriage. And we read in verse 6 of our passage that Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous. <clears throat> that is, they were obedient, they were God-honouring, they were covenant-keeping. Uh, They were the ones who were living in the land of Israel the way the people, all the people should have been living. Say the Pharisees who made a great show of their righteousness but Jesus could discern that deep down they were hypocrites but it was really people like Zechariah and Elizabeth who were keeping the the flame uh, of faith burning in the land of Israel. But back in those days uh, many people had a cruel streak in the way they thought. So it's not too uncommon to think that if you didn't didn't have any children, (coughs) then this showed that God wasn't happy with you. It's a cruel way to think, I know, but that's that's the way it was apparently in those days. And so we can guess that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth had got used to living with disappointment and frustration. So although uh, many people of those days would think that no children was a sign of God's displeasure... But they would have known that actually God was pleased with both of of them, even if their neighbours spoke badly about them because of having no children or something. Now, on the day that Zechariah was chosen, as I said before, he was at work deep in the temple. There was the golden incense altar, and over by the wall there, there was the golden candlestick over there. And uh, as, as he knew what to do, get some incense sprinkle it on the altar he was supposed to do the sacrifice next but he got a shocking surprise because an angel showed up and Gabriel appeared uh, we're told in the scripture when Zechariah was placing the incense on the altar and the symbolism of this of the nice incense smell wafting up to heaven the prayers for the forgiveness of sins the sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins about to happen Uh, Zechariah leading the nation so to speak he's the priest on duty praying at that time and Gabriel showed up at that exact moment to set in place the forgiveness of sins through John and that other baby of course Jesus a very appropriate moment for God to make his move now I might say in the Old Testament time they really had forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of a lamb and so on and that was the system they had and if you had sinned then you had to do the right thing had to confess your sin and go to the temple and offer the sacrifice and God would graciously cover your sins because of that. But as was, is clear, and the writers of the New Testament say in one of the places in Hebrews, it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats, etc., lambs, lambs too, to take away sin. To take away human sin, a human sacrifice is needed. So although things had been covered in a kind of a, a makeshift fashion up to then, the real forgiveness of sins, the one that really worked, uh, is going to work from now on, and kind of work backwards into the past, you might say, was just being prepared at that moment because John was going to be born, and Jesus six months later, and John and Jesus actually, they were cousins, and John was going to prepare the way for Jesus, and so on. So Gabe, Zechariah, uh, Gabriel appeared when Zechariah was placing incense on the altar. Zechariah, verse 12, it says... He was shaken and overwhelmed with fear uh, when he saw him. And as far as I know, whenever an angel shows up, people do get scared. Because when an angel comes to speak to you, it means that God himself is speaking to you. So generally we Christians, we go by the Bible and it has God's commandments. We know how we ought to live. We know we shouldn't tell lies, etc. Et There's all those commandments in the Bible. It tells us how we ought to live. We should be positively living in love and service and goodwill. Truth. We know all these things. And we have God's promises to comfort us and guide us and reassure us because of our own sins and so on. So, generally speaking, we go by the Bible. But every now and then God's got a special message for someone. It's this one's not in the Bible. You can't open your Bible and say well Zechariah's going to have a baby called John so let's read about it. So an angel has to come to you and people get scared. The worry being it might be very bad news that God has for you because everyone knows they've committed many actual sins. The angel might be coming to bring good news about how you're about to die unforgiven or some of that. God is unhappy with you so people tend to be a bit scared, a bit astonished, a bit full of fear when an angel shows up. What's God got to say to me today? But, hallelujah, it's the next stage in God's story. So the angel reassures him, this visit is about your prayers, your prayers for the salvation of Israel and your prayers to have a son. Both will be fulfilled in the one child, or begin to be fulfilled in the one child. So the angel said, (coughs) verse 13, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife Elizabeth will give you a son, and you are to name him John. And this child will bring joy to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but also to many other people as well. As it says in verse 14, You'll have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And the name John means gift of God or God is gracious. And that baby was a gift to them and it's also the next instalment of God's gracious story which is unfolding before their eyes. And in verse 15, uh, when it says that he must never touch uh, wine or other alcoholic drinks, this bit is picking up a concept in the Old Testament where a husband and his wife could, uh, when their child was born, could dedicate their child to serve the Lord in a special way. So back in the Old Testament book of Numbers in chapter 6, we read that if a man or a woman wants to make a special vow, a vow of separation to the Lord as a Nazarite, then that baby is set aside and as he grows up he must abstain from wine or other fermented drink that no razor may be used on his head, so he would just grow his head and hair and beard long. And it says he must not go near uh, a dead body. Um, I'm not quite sure why that would be, but you're, perhaps you're a living symbol of God's life, I guess, if you're a Nazarite. So this boy John, as well, he grows up, he's going to be one of these special, dedicated focused on God, doing nothing but God's will in a special sort of way, whatever God wants, I'm ready to obey you God, he's going to be a Nazarite. We could think um, of old, uh, old Testament stories, we could think of someone like Samson with his long hair which was the secret of his strength. Well, He was a Nazarite, he was dedicated in the, Lord, in the temple to serve the Lord all the days of his life. That was the secret behind his supernatural strength of course. And uh, it says uh, in uh, Luke that, uh, ch- chapter 1 and verse 15, our, our verse as there on the, uh, the screen. He'll be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or alcoholic drinks. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And you might be able to recall the uh, detail in the Gospels where John uh, leaps in his mother's womb when pregnant Mary comes near to him with Jesus being born in her womb. And that child was filled with the Holy Spirit, even then he could recognize the coming Saviour before he was born. And then the angel goes on to give an outline of this baby's role in Israel. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God, because the people had wandered well and truly astray. He'll be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He'll prepare the people for the coming of the Lord, and that's Jesus himself, of course. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. And that Old Testament prophet Elijah who gets a mention, he was famous for his miracles, he was famous for his preaching of the kingdom of God and also for his fearless confronting of sinful King Ahab. And I hope the regular congregation members can remember this from about a year ago when we are doing the king's And uh, the Book of Kings and Elijah confronted King Ahab. And this baby John will one day confront a sinful king. Only this is King Herod Antipas of Galilee. And of course it costs John his life when he does that. So someone special is coming. And that is going to be Elijah is going to show up again but it'll be in the form of John. And this, of course, uh, this baby is going to be none other than John the Baptist. I suppose I should slip that somewhere into this sermon. So we come to the, the second point of two points this morning, which is prophecy fulfilled. And this incident in the temple was, in fact, an Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled because it's stated in the Old Testament that it would be like having Elijah amongst the people again. So the Old Testament finishes with the prophetic books, And the last of all the prophetic books is the book of Malachi. And Malachi says, uh, Elijah has got to come before the Lord shows up. And uh, Luke doesn't include this quote uh, in his gospel writing, chapter 1 of Luke. But when we look up the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says, Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. And if we read kind of backwards through that verse, I don't mean reading the words backwards, but just looking backwards in the thought, unless we see that unless Elijah shows up, unless that happens, the land is going to be under a curse. It's going to be under God's judgment. God's story, if it doesn't get to John and it doesn't get to Jesus then God's story is a story of failure, judgment and the condemnation of the people. So otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse unless Elijah shows up, and Elijah is John, unless Elijah comes and brings Jesus onto centre stage. This is God's story being unfolded before our eyes. So God's news is bad news unless John prepares the way for Jesus to come and die for our sins. So God's spell is going to change from bad news to good news. And these are the words of uh, the angel Gabriel. So Zechariah, doing a little bit of thinking as he went along, he said, well, how can I be sure this will happen? I'm an old man now and my wife is also well along in years. And you remember I said earlier in those days, being without a child is a great disappointment, just as today, of course. Uh, other disappointments that people go through and that people will be going through today, uh, people sometimes have to face up to, in their family to the death of a child. Uh, sometimes family life is going along smoothly, then there's some sort of financial collapse, an unwise investment or someone's uh, swindle you out your money or something like that. Uh, sometimes parents have to deal with one of their children who's fallen into a calamity or serious sin. Uh, Sometimes people have unfortunate accidents that lead to long-term health problems, something like that. all these situations that we uh, go through as Christians, the hard times are not always self-explanatory. We don't always know exactly what God is doing and why this is happening to me. And God never guarantees that life will be without any pain or disappointment. But the issue with us as Christians as we go through these hard times, and it's it's almost inevitable that all of us are going to go through something to some degree uh, or other, but the central issue is how do we handle it when it comes along? So I want to ask, do you pray when things are going wrong? Do you take God's perspective on life and trials? Do you watch for what God, God is doing as you go through the rough patches? Part of Elizabeth and Zechariah being upright and blameless was the way they handled the disappointment of no children. They were never bitter with God. They maintained their prayers. They accepted God's will. They believed that all things work for good for those who love God, etc., even though they could not see just how it would turn out for good in their case. But what had just seemed like a fluke on that day, the day, the morning of the day or the day before when Zechariah's name was chosen oh, aren't you the lucky one, There was a big flute we, we picked your name it was actually uh, God at work to set the stage for the greatest entry ever by God into his world for the salvation of the world so it was no flute when his name was drawn out of a hat because God had it in plan Gabriel must come John must be born, otherwise there'll be a curse. Jesus must come. So I want to ask, are we prepared for God? Have you responded to the one that God sent with repentance and faith in your life? We must be dead set, genuine Christians deep inside. We can't just show up at church every now and then and go through the motions. We can't just sort of pretend we can talk the Christian talk. We must be sincere, dedicated, dedicated, committed Christians believing fervently that Jesus died for my sins and without that I've got no hope at all unless I'm that sort of a person I might not even be a true Christian are we prepared for God are you willing to walk the path that God calls you on or do you always opt to go your own way especially when the times are hard anyway back to our narrative of what's happening inside the temple So Zechariah asked the question and the angel said, Well, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you didn't believe what I said, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. So it's like he sort of cut him down and said, Lord, if you're not going to believe, just be quiet and wait for a while. You will see God's salvation arrive. And Zechariah was there after this incident. He was unable to hear and unable to speak, unable to form words. We know this because as you read on in the account, when he walks out of the temple and the crowd is waiting, as, as they used to do in those days, to receive the blessing from the priest, uh, and, and the assurance that their sins were forgiven because the sacrifice had indeed been made and all that sort of stuff and they had to sort of had to make signs to them, and they had to make signs to him and oh well I saw an angel and they had to all communicate by doing this sort of pointing and whatever sort of kind of sign language they had in those days he was unable to, to speak and he was unable to hear uh, it's the, and being struck dumb would be very significant for him uh, priests were only ever chosen once uh, to have this special day in the temple. Uh, we know this because it's, it's written in the Jewish writings, not the Bible, but other Jewish writings, that once you've been chosen once, your name know wouldn't go into the Holy Ghost, so you wouldn't get two goes, because there were so many of them wanted to have at least one go. So it's very significant he couldn't come out and do what he wanted to do as a priest. He wanted, he wanted to dish up the priestly blessing. Uh, that's the role of the priest, to come out of the holy, priest, uh, the holy place and do exactly that. Well, we as it turns out, it was the Bible reading from in uh, the Old Testament reading. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. That's, that was his job. He's the high point of your career, to come out and do the priestly blessing. Maybe Zechariah tried, but he realised his powers had faded away. So the blessing was unspoken on that day. But Jesus himself will do for Zechariah what Zechariah could not do. Because Jesus is going to bring God's blessing on the people. Right at the end of this gospel, Luke chapter 24, verse 51, whilst Jesus was blessing them. So having died on the cross for our sins, having raised from the dead to show uh, that he is truly the one who knows the way through to the other side, that he's totally redeemed by God, that the sacrifice on the cross was completely and utterly acceptable to God, Uh, while Jesus was blessing them he left them and was taken up to heaven because of course he is our great high priest in heaven it's the blessing of the reality of sins forgiven forever because it's the son of God who died for us not just a lamb or a goat or a bull or whatever and that's what Jesus is sharing with them and by extension with us as he returns to heaven so Oh, yep, missed that one. Quick read, there we go. Catch up with where we're up to them. Yep, I missed that one too, I talked a bit too much. Have a quick read, we'll catch up. Here we go, when Zechariah's work of service in the temple was over, uh, he returned home. Soon afterwards, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and she went into seclusion for five months. Maybe Elizabeth was so overcome by being directly part of God's salvation that she uh, withdrew from society for the first half of her pregnancy um, just as Zechariah was out of action because he, he couldn't speak or anything they are both out of action but anyway let's notice as we wind up the sermon that every work of God seems to start with one person think of the great figures of the Bible uh, men and women of faith and what was achieved through them and that one person that the work of God starts with it could also be you and you should think about yourself at this point if you're a real Christian then God can achieve something great through you it might be that you want your family or friends to be converted you might want to truly be an example of dedication to Christ to impress non-believers and to commend the gospel you might want there might be a graciousness in the way you relate to folk Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were quiet but genuine believers Uh, they were looking for and they were waiting for God to act and God's New Testament story started with them and it's the same in our day and age God can start with you and then he can use you to bless others as well so I think we're up to our last song now And then we'll uh, retreat for morning tea.